0: The evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of
1: science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent
0: balls of summer fire. This week, back to the future.
2: In the year 2015, we had flying cars, self-lacing shoes, and, oh, none of the above.
3: You know, I did try and have my 30-year viewing of today's movie, Back to the Future, in 2015. I only tried... Because my wife shot it down because she didn't think it was appropriate for my six-year-old daughter at the time because of, um, you know, the thing we're going to get into on this one, I'm sure. (laughs) She loves a movie. Um, When I showed her the list of the podcast, uh, I think we'd been in about 25 episodes. She'd only seen like two of the movies on the list, right? She's not a sci-fi girl. But she was like, when are you doing Back to the Future? Why haven't you done Back to the Future? Here we are. It's time to do Back to the Future. This is Matt. This is Luke. And welcome to our sci-fi sanctuary.
2: And today we're joined by a very special guest. He is the inventor of podcasts. He's the main one, even when he's not the main one. And I guess for listeners of this show, they might know him from Starcalls. It's David Turners.
1: Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on to talk about one of my favourite films. (laughs) I really
2: appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Um, Yeah, when I listened to Starcalls, I kind of got the impression... This was the only
1: science fiction film you'd ever seen. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, Star Calls was me in my firsties watching Star Wars for the first time ever. And I think in the initial couple of podcasts, I was like, well, the only thing I've really got to compare it to is Back to the Future, because that was on the constant loop in my house when I was growing up, whereas Star Can you hear Wars me I get anywhere near it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're fine. I just stupidly... I went to turn my phone onto silent, and instead I turned
3: off my internet. All oh, right. <laughs>
1: That's a mistake, like, isn't it?
3: <laughs> Just don't touch things, man. I, I already yeah, I warned right. you about that. You t- when I touch technology, it stops working.
1: Well, I went to open the fridge, and I accidentally blew the flat up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Luke here has watched me um, fail to use a copier at least 20 times. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, in your defense, it's in Japanese, so. <laughs>
3: um, anyway, yeah, I, I guess we'll talk about how he got into this one. Um, Dave had this being his entry to sci fi, it's close to mine. I saw it opening night. 1985 um one of the first few films i'd seen we, we talked a little earlier i think i got into star trek 3 and return before this but uh yeah i guess little matt was seeing all sci-fi and probably disney movies so <laughs> and uh it's you know i had it on vhs and memorized it by 1989 when the sequels came out i'm sure so that's that's My association getting into this It's another DNA ingrained film Uh, We did watch it of course To do this podcast But we didn't really need to
2: Yeah for me Being born in 1990 This film was already everywhere When I was growing up Uh, My granddad had a box set of the three tapes And I used to watch them like on repeat Uh, Although in in our household The third one was actually the favorite Because my granddad loves westerns
1: Wow. Okay, so for me, um, I mean, I was one when the original came out, um, but my brother, who is four years older than me, was a massive fan of the films. And I, I, one of my earliest memories was, I would have been about six, I guess, was the part three come out in 90?
3: Yeah, I think it was 90. Oh. That sounds right. I remember
1: him and my uncle returning from the cinema and him going nuts about part three, saying how much he loved it. And I'd never heard of it before. And I think that week I watched um, the first two uh, on VHS or wherever it was. Um, and I sort of, yeah, instantly connected with it. I mean, I was six at the time, so uh, I think it was more about the fast car than the uh, <laughs> than the complexities of the plot. But um, I yeah, I mean, I instantly fell in love with it. But in my house, number two, was always the favourite up until I guess I was about 18, 19. And then that sort of started to the line between part one and two sort of blurred a little bit. uh, And I think I appreciated those two films uh, above the third, but still, you know, the whole trilogy was much loved in our house.
2: Yeah. Just before everything went crazy and everything shut down, I was actually able to see the three of them in the theatre a couple months back. And in my head, it had always been yeah, one and two are great, and then it kind of drops off for three. But when I rewatched them this time, I was like, oh no, one and three are great films, and two is just a bunch of stuff happening.
1: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I if we're talking rewatches, I uh, feel a little bit guilty at the intro of this uh, of this podcast because I've got I've got a, s- <laughs> a six year old as well, and we've just you know stuck in lockdown. I found an unopened. Uh, a Blu-ray collection of all three films uh, in one of my drawers, and I was like, "Sit down, Harry, you're watching this." Um, and we went through all three films, and I did appreciate the third film way more than I ever had because it grew in my house. It was growing up in my house. It was always the third one was really disappointing. It'd still be you know watched and we'd still enjoy it to some extent but we, we didn't put it anywhere near the level of one and two but uh yeah it's really strange going back and looking at that second one isn't it because it is kind of like this is just weird sketches chucked together like weird ideas chucked together i mean that's not putting the film down i, I absolutely adore the second one um and it you know still challenges for the top spot for me but it is strange how uh you could see that this was a bunch of ideas in a in a conference room that they've rammed together and somehow managed to make it stick it's uh, it's really strange going back to these three films now
3: i think 2 and 3 is the first uh at least the first time i can think of when they were like we are making the sequels like together you know later they do that with lord of the rings or what well, they do did- all three with Lord of the Rings, didn't they? But uh, Yeah, I remember two... Oh, three, the Matrix the, or something mm, like that. Yeah, the big shtick was they were making them together. So um, there was a six-month period when two had come out and three hadn't. And and it got kind of mixed reviews, but people sort of understood, okay, this is going somewhere. Um, the cliffhanger at the end of, of this first one was actually kind of a big deal because that never happened anymore. Uh, now we get on peak TV all the time, but movies did not do that since like the 40s or 50s with the uh, you know Saturday afternoon, marquee things well number two doesn't
2: just end with the cliffhanger it ends with a literal trailer for number three
1: yeah it does doesn't it yeah it's crazy it's um and it, it's funny because there's loads of foreshadowing and um even in the short time between filming the the two and three they had things like that it wasn't there there was a photo of uh biff western biff um, what was his name Mad Dog oh uh, um, yeah they had a photo of Mad Dog in, in Back to the Future 2 but when you actually see him in Back to the Future 3 it looks completely different so it's kind of even the short space between the two uh, films being put together uh, they still changed quite a bit by the looks of it, um, but yeah, they, I, one of the one of the um, little nods towards three and two, which I'd never noticed until recently, is that Doc wears a shirt with like cowboys and <laughs> and all that st- sort of stuff on it. Um, so I don't know, it, maybe maybe I'm looking into it too much, but it, it does seem like they dropped they used uh, that sort of close proximity of the creation of the two films in uh, uh, during the filming of the second one. I, love yeah, I, think,
2: like, I think there's even a little line where he says, like, oh, and I never even got to do my, my ultimate dream to visit the Old West. Yeah, visit like the Old
1: West. Yeah, that was in there. Definitely. I mean, they were always going to go there. They've been, they've been, uh, you know, slightly in the past. They've been way into the future. They were always going to go into the uh, Wild West, weren't they?
2: What? But for today, let's talk about the first film. So, Matt, do you want to take us through the plot? <laughs>
3: Yeah, and for the first time, I'm winging it, which I guess if I have to wing it, it's going to be with this film. I wrote it, then I erased it, because I'm an idiot. Oops. But let's give it a roll. Off to the races.
0: Well, i got a girl with a machine when it comes to rocking. She's queen. We love dance on Saturday night. All alone, I can't hold her tight. But she lives in 20th Club town, the elevator. Broken down. On the 12th, I to the
3: Marty McFly is just your typical American teenager. He likes to cut school. He has a cute girlfriend and a best friend, fifty years older than him. Doc Brown, a wacky inventor who likes to do thermonuclear experiments. His newest one is in a DeLorean. Marty meets him at midnight to watch the experiment where he blows up the car and his dog. But it turns out that this DeLorean is a time machine. That's true. Doc Brown has made a time machine out of a DeLorean. Unfortunately, to power it, he needed to swindle a bit of plutonium from some Libyan terrorists. In the middle of the experiment, they show up to uh, assassinate the scientist. Marty escapes in the time machine and ends up back in 1955, the year that Doc Brown originally conceived the time machine. Strolling around this 30 year past, Marty happens to run into both of his parents, Lorraine and George McFly, and manages to interrupt the incident where George uh, and Lorraine first meet and fall in love. You see, now mom has the hots for her own son. Marty meets a 30-year younger Doc Brown and convinces him that he is, in fact, from the future. The two begin to scheme how to send Marty back to the future. There's no plutonium around in 1955, so they're going to need something like a bolt of lightning. Fortunately, Marty has information that a bolt of lightning will hit the town's clock tower a week later and doc can use that energy to power the delorean time machine in the meantime though marty needs to clean up his own mess and get his parents hooked back together marty and his siblings are slowly fading from time Marty begins to do the work, finding his father, George, to be a completely low self-esteem dotard. Complications ensue when local town bully and future boss of George McFly, Biff Tannen, begins to throw a wrench into Marty's plans. Marty has a chase through the town with Biff ending with Biff driving his car into a truckload of manure. Unfortunately, this makes Mom Lorraine fall even more in love with Marty. Marty ends up having to take his own mother to the school dance, but he's got a plan. George will interrupt them when Marty begins to get a little fresh with, um, Mom... And then George will stage a fight, win the heart of Lorraine, and take her to the school dance for them to fall in love and have three children. Biff is still completely pissed at Marty, though. Rips him out of the car and has his henchmen throw him in the back trunk of the uh, of the school band's car. Huh. Winging it doesn't... Well, winging it's not always so good. Okay, that's cool. Anyway, Biff begins... <laughs> Now you know why I always have so much trouble when I don't bother to write one. (laughs) Biff begins to have his way with Lorraine, but is interrupted by George, who is expecting to find Marty. George finally mans up a bit, though, punches Biff square in the face, and wins the heart of sweet Lorraine. The dance almost doesn't go forward, though, as the guitarist breaks his hand trying to get Marty out of the car's boot. Marty steps up to the plate once again, rocking to Johnny B. Good, so his parents can meet and kiss for the first time. Now it's back to the town square, though, where Doc Brown has been putting the final touches on getting that DeLorean back to the future. Marty tries to warn him about the Libyan terrorists, but Doc will have nothing of knowledge about the future. With the seconds ticking down and the lightning about to strike, Marty manages to catch the lightning, ride the lightning, and just in the nick of time, it ends up back in 1985. For some reason, only giving himself 10 minutes of time to stop doc brown from being assassinated marty makes it just too late only to find that doc has ignored his own advice put marty's letter about the future back together and put on a bullet proof vest for the occasion good thing they didn't shoot him in the face the next morning Doc is finally going to take his own time machine out to a test drive to the future, blazing out as Marty returns to his own life, finding his parents have finally become wonderful people since Marty has changed past events, low self-esteem dad, finally becoming the science fiction writer he Always wish to be, and his mother Lorraine, no longer a depressing alcoholic, but a happy, yuppie mom, I guess. We'll catch up with them all again, and back to the future too, except for the real George McFly, who we will never see again.
0: You're gonna give your love to me. Bump, 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 bum. I would love you night and day. Bump, 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 bump. You no know. one loved that little way. Bump, 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 bump. Oh, well, you bum, know, not bump that little way. Bump, 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 bump. Bum. I love a bigger than a cat. We usually go with actors
3: first, but, um... The director is definitely worth a note here because it's one of the biggest blockbuster directors ever, but somehow he seems to be like, I don't know, not quite an... He is A-list, but his name isn't always A-list, which is uh, Robert Zemeckis. He's made like several of the top grossing films ever, but he never quite has the name of uh, executive producer Spielberg here. Yeah, maybe it's just because
0: he
2: got overshadowed by Spielberg like that. Even on, like, the case of the DVD today, it'll say, like, a Spielberg film, and then Zermakis will be in tiny letters.
3: Yeah, but later he made, what, like, uh, Forrest Gump is right on the tip of my brain, but he's made some other notable ones. (laughs)
2: I didn't even know he did Gump.
3: Yeah, that's my point. He's a pretty major name that doesn't get bandied around a whole lot. He's made several of the most notable ones. Sorry, now, of course, he made all three Back to the Futures. Uh, Forrest Gump. Contact castaway um he got into that creepy animation phase where he did polar express and beowulf um he did the walk a few years ago like i guess that wasn't a giant one but it, i don't know i thought it was kind of cool so it's on my list oh and that really depressing one with um with um denzel washington flight that that was one of the that was a real feel bad movie yeah <laughs> Anyway, the point is he's A-list and just doing back Oh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Let's not forget that one while we're at it. So, yeah, I'm looking at it now. He's done loads of films, but for some reason I just
2: never see his name attached to any of them.
3: Yeah, and cuz back to the future, to like, oh yes, yeah, Spielberg. Well, not not really. I mean, yes and no. So,
2: it makes sense he went on to do Forrest Gump because it kind of uses the same weird putting people into footage thing as Back to the Future.
1: That's that's always cool, right? That is always cool. Like even when it's when it's done well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. But when when you look at um, uh, the second film, uh, it's done really well there. But that kind of overshadows what the first film did. You know, like I mean, the bit where he returns back to the park, uh, the car park, and he's trying to save Doc is just so well done. Like with the subtle changes here and there, and then seeing himself, it, yeah, it looks great, man. I love that.
2: I do wonder with the second film with that stuff. If they'd just released two and three the other way round, it would be a bit more exciting seeing him go back to the first
1: film. I don't know. I I I think they changed enough about it. The bit where he's like watching himself on stage—that is just so. Oh good. yeah, it's great. It's just the best. But it just it.
2: When I saw them like a week apart, it did feel a bit weird, like.
1: I feel like I just watched this film. Yeah, yeah, no, I must admit, when I when I did my marathon with my son, it was kind of like, oh, they've not actually gone anywhere. <laughs> like this is just like <laughs> massive bits of the first film. But um, yeah, no, I I hadn't known. Um, I I mean, I don't know that director too well, and I, I yeah, it's strange that he's not a massive name considering the amount of projects he's tied to. It's uh, that's crazy.
2: He also sounds like a really good guy. Um, I was reading about the film earlier, and apparently, the reason we haven't had any like sequels or remakes is just Zemeckis is like, no, I won't do it without Michael J. Fox, and obviously, we're not gonna do them without him, so it's just it's done.
3: I, I got to go on a quick aside with Castaway though. I saw Castaway in the theater in Lisbon, Portugal, and, and the fun with that is um, we were about to fly back to the states. It was like a we. we got cheap plane tickets for spring break and but we were so cheap we didn't want to get a hotel so we're like I'll watch the movie and then we'll just hang around the airport all night so anyway the point is we watched castaway before taking a transatlantic flight so <laughs> were
1: you were you like packing extra supplies in your in your briefcase when you were getting on that plane just you know some firewood and fish no we got fish
3: rod we- we got luckier than that because they had overbooked the plane. So they asked for volunteers to wait for the next one. We said yes. And then they're like, okay, we can get you on this one. You're in first class. So we basically nice. paid about 100 US dollars for a first class flight. <laughs>
1: Before we so. move back to, back to the future, I'll admit it, I'd have opened those packages. Why not? What, I need, what was he thinking? Just open <laughs> the packages, mate. I bet there could have been anything lighter in there. That would have helped you out, wouldn't it? <laughs> i oh, yeah, 100%. Or something.
2: Come on. You always put them back in the box if anyone comes.
1: Yeah, a bit of sellotape over the top. No one noticed. They turn up in worse condition, better conditions than half of the plate, of the delivery services we get round here. So, uh, yeah, have been all right.
3: Um, I guess we should get to the actors. That's we were, uh, we already mentioned Michael J. Fox, um, whose claim to fame at this point was uh, the sitcom Family Ties. Yeah, I don't that's know.
1: right, and he was he was he filmed this in between episode recording episodes of Family Ties, didn't he? If I remember correctly.
2: Um, well, yeah, because famously they almost recast him because he couldn't leave the show. But
1: well, like, they did recast him. So didn't they? They, they filmed. Yeah, they, they did
2: like two weeks of filming.
1: Yeah, they filmed a bunch of it with Eric Stokes as Marty McFly, um, and it is so weird. I mean, you know, you you hear the stories about how it wasn't working and he he didn't get the you know the the role right. Um, and I don't know how much of that is hindsight uh, talking or or people just... I don't know what the deal is, uh, really. But what's bizarre is that obviously there was a lot of footage taken uh, with Eric Stoltz and, and, and there's a hell of a lot of like publicity photos with him as Marty um, on the internet. And you look at them and you just think, this is so weird. Like, when you see the photos of... Um, Christopher Lloyd standing next to Eric Stokes, like in that hazmat suit, while um, Eric is in the, you know, the sort of body warmer and the jeans and everything. You just think, this is just odd it's like someone's a really big fan and they photoshopped themselves into the scene or something it's (laughs) it's bizarre um but you got i can't imagine how difficult that must have been to to have cast him started filming and then turn around to him and saying yeah no we're finding someone else now and then for eric stoltz to see how massive that film became uh it's yeah what an awkward situation that is
3: He's a good actor. I, I particularly liked him in the uh, TV show Caprica a few years ago, but he's a pretty intense actor where uh, Marty needs to be a little bit ki- kind of laid back. I mean, the, the goofy teenager, I guess, which is where Michael J. Fox comes in, um, you know, with Doc Brown and Marty being the Rick and Morty template with Eric Stoltz in the role it just would have been Rick and Rick or something. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, one of the quotes was that he played it too dramatic
1: yeah and this this film can't be too dramatic i mean the, the when you when you um like i mean you mentioned a few uh points during your your uh, run through the plot but um there there's so many plot holes in this film that if it was played a little bit straighter than it is it you just they would have bugged the hell out of you but because you feel that this is actually more of a family adventure film than a sci-fi flick you you kind of let all that stuff go you know, I'm talking even down to how the hell uh, Marty and Doc friends. Um, you know, as you said, why didn't he turn up a little bit earlier to save Doc? Why did he leave it with like five minutes? There's loads of that. So why would you take a picture of a well if the three children were not in front of it? That's, that's another <laughs> one that's always bugged me. You know, all that stuff that usually gets picked apart in sci-fi films, because this doesn't necessarily feel like a... St- sci-fi film it's more of a you know a family adventure film and i think they get away with all that stuff and i think if they didn't cast those uh characters correctly then uh the focus would have turned a little bit and as a result no one really cares about those little things they sort of laugh them off and then carry on unlike other sci-fi films where it becomes this massive uh argument <laughs> and um, expression of frustration to talk about those things
2: Oh and similarly as well, like Marty plays it kind of lighthearted and fun, but there's some really dark shit in this film. Oh god. So yeah. if you'd played it if you'd played it dramatically when you've got like Libyan terrorists and someone almost raping your mum and stuff, it would not be yeah, a lighthearted family sexual adventure. Assault,
1: there's racism in there, there's like it's 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 crazy. The only thing that I don't quite get about Marty's character other than him hanging around with a crazy scientist, is the like I think he's played, like his character is played as a sort of um a sort of not a loser at high school, but not exactly one of the popular kids at high school, you know. Um but he's too cool for that. <laughs> like you just think why is right. he not like the 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 hero of his school? Why is he this guy that's getting shouted at and beaten up and all that sort of stuff like it's it's yeah it's a bit that's that's well, a bit we off, don't but... really
2: see him we don't really see any of his time in 1985 school
1: i think we do don't we Where, where's, we see him fl- like
2: bit... do his band audition but that's about it we see him in the hallway
1: in the thing yeah you know, he's in the hallway and then strickland comes out and gives him a bollocking doesn't he but
2: oh yeah but if you're the if you're the cool kids you do get a bollocking from the but, teacher
1: well i wouldn't know I wouldn't
3: <laughs> These aren't, I don't know if any of us can claim to be the cool kids. Um, speaking of the darkness of the original script, sorry, I just brought up, um, it made me think, wasn't the original script a lot darker? So I found a few quotes here. Uh, one saying, in an early script, the time machine was a refrigerator and Marty would need the power of an atomic explosion at the Nevada test site to return home. Zemeckis was concerned that children would accidentally lock themselves in refrigerators. So that's how that got changed. And then the other one, I, I just noticed a few lines down from that. Um, they thought that the the first finished draft of the script, they thought it was a really nice, cute, warm film, but not sexual enough. Ow. Okay. okay. <laughs> um,
1: a bit odd. The, with the refrigerator thing, wouldn't that make the opening just really crap? You know, the whole thing about it the, a car driving to them at 88 miles per hour and you just... Like this part of you—is it gonna work? Because if it doesn't, they're getting hit by a car, and and then the flames and everything. Instead, it'd just be that like them turning it on at the plug, would it? And then yeah. it just disappeared. It'd just be Marty. But it goes into the lab, and the docs climbing into a fridge.
3: <laughs> no, you, you'd include some groundhogs at the beginning, and then it'd be fine. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> well, yeah, apparently, apparently kind of Spielberg did. Still, that that scene is where he
3: got it for um Indiana Jones. Yeah, he might just want to double. Actually, you know what? Um. I, I'm pretty down that film, but I, the first 20 minutes of that one, I didn't mind. It's after that when it starts to rub me the wrong way. <laughs> I didn't mind nuking the fridge later. It was, it was later that did it, but I'm glad that Back to the Future decided not to nuke the fridge and give us a DeLorean that uh, shoots fire instead. DeLorean is very cool.
1: As good as um, Marty McFly is in this film, and he is good, uh, uh, I mean, a doc is just the star right he's everything in this film oh he certainly was to me when i was growing up because he's you first see him he's strange he's weird he talks in a weird way he's got this very distinct voice um he's erratic he's uh excited he's enthusiastic he's he just every time he's on the screen he just takes all the attention for me and i think other than the car which i absolutely loved when i was a kid there was just something about doc that i, I don't know man it just like that was my first uh love of, for a character i think in a film uh, cuz i just every time he was on screen i was excited about what he was saying and it, the way he interacted um, with Marty you know the whole heavy line really sticks out in my head his reaction to all that sort of stuff I don't know I just what of not only a fantastically written character but also the performance was just off the charts like it was yeah the, I mean there's some great performances in these films but I think uh, that particular one is 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 the best best of the bunch well
3: Let's name that with uh, Christopher Lloyd um, I think this was one of the first big movies he had done uh, He he had been big on the TV show Taxi before Which is quite funny um, Also has Danny DeVito, Andy Kaufman was there Pretty funny yeah. show So he already had, definitely had his uh, comedy kudos And I mean he's been lots of great stuff So yeah, Christopher Lloyd's just fantastic um, He's got those perfect crazy eyes, I think is what does it Yeah um I'm, I'm- gonna play a little fifties rock and roll, but I, I, let's get a little more into Christopher Lloyd and the other actors.
0: Baby can me be true? Oh, baby can't be true You stop back to the body The cooper feel can like on over the road, nothing I rode my B8 mold. Can do about nine five to the bumping bomb growth outside, baby? Lead. Well, can't it be true? Why baby leave? Can it be true? You start that you just like you used to Cadillac pulled up, pull the pedophile, phone got high rain my hood do do my
3: we are going on about I'm gonna say we are going on about uh, Christopher Lloyd, but let's let's dovetail that in a little bit with doc Brown I guess this is a case where the actor. And the character are like pretty much so entwined. You can't. I, I. I don't know the actor, of course, but I just feel like you can barely separate the two uh, because of the manic energy and the crazy eyes.
2: I think that's true of Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox, and that's why
1: the films work so well. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, you say you say, you say you can't separate the. You say you can't separate the actor and the um and the character, and I think you mentioned Taxi there, but. I obviously saw Taxi a lot later, and um, you don't recognise him straight away, Christopher Lloyd in Taxi, until... Like, like when you first see him, you're kind of like, is that kind of recognised? And then the voice and the mannerisms, you're like, it's Doc. Like, that is, <laughs> that's the first thing you think. Um, and, yeah, you're right. I mean, he... It, it's not like he's playing himself, obviously, but is this you can't imagine again it's one of those situations you can't imagine anyone else playing that character you just can't there's no one that can do it like that um yeah so it's 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 pretty much a the the sort of you know whatever you see christopher lloyd in or or if you ever see him being interviewed or whatever that is doc sitting there being interviewed to me because yeah it's such a strong tie between the actor and the character
3: Meanwhile, Thomas F. Wilson would like to be less associated with his character. <laughs> he plays Biff Tannen, and I think he's complained that people will like berate him in public for being Biff sometimes.
1: Well, have you seen? Um, have you seen that he does a? If you search uh, for him on YouTube, because he, he did stand-up comedy for a while, I think it was either stand-up comedy or um, uh, he just did this. There's a, a video of him on stage singing about how he is not Biff. Um, and it's yeah it's brilliant like it's absolutely fantastic so I I definitely recommend going on YouTube and seeking that out yeah is that the same one where he he like answers all of his frequently asked questions that's right that's what he does he answers the frequently asked asked questions that's that was doing the rounds a few years ago and I mean it was quite old back then um, but it like sort of not leaked but got shared a lot more Uh, and I saw it then and I just yeah I thought it was wonderful
2: the line I always remember is, uh, what does a producer do? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Was it real manure? No. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that's no, a good, good little video, that.
3: Yeah, Leonard Nimoy sent a bitchy when he said I am not Spock, but you know, Thomas F. Wilson can do a whole stand-up routine on not being Biff, and I-, I will stand by that. The character being fantastic, but yes, you as an actor you would want to divorce yourself from that a bit. <laughs> yeah, god.
1: What well, what I what a like a horrific bad guy. I mean, across generations like it's <laughs> it's just uh yeah, it's just a, a nasty Horrible, like nothing but hate uh, villain of the of the trilogy, really. But in this in this particular film, he really is just like, as low as it gets, isn't he.
2: Well, what's amazing is that he is like really funny and fun and entertaining to watch, but also you really hate him.
1: Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I the 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 scene at the end of the film where you see that he is. Now washing, uh, wash. He's a you know he's a car cleaner. It's um it's so satisfying because you knew what he was like when he had a bit of power, and you knew what he was like at school, and he was nothing but, but yeah, as I say, just horrible things about that that uh, character. Uh, so to see him like suddenly humbled like that is was just a perfect ending to that film.
3: They never threw football on him. I feel like uh, now he'd also have to be like the football star, but he's 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 just yeah, he's just there as a as a as an a hole, which is kind of yeah. fantastic. <laughs> and you'd find out if if the film was
1: made now, you'd find out why he was so angry and mean to everyone. And
3: it's just that there's no
1: need for it back then. He's a bad guy. Just he's just a bad guy, right? He's just a really bad person. Yeah, it's
3: like, just throughout like throughout
1: his whole life.
3: So. It's like the Joker in Batman. If anyone who tries to explain the Joker has just ruined the Joker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's a villain.
3: Um, Marty's mom is played by uh, Leah Thompson, who was quite a star in the day. I guess it's the case where, the unfortunately, the actor got older and didn't get roles anymore. Uh, She was in a lot of 80s movies. She was in Red Dawn, Howard the Duck. Um, She had a TV sitcom in the early 90s. It's it's kind of wild to think about now. She's good, I like her, but I she, I feel like since the mid '90s she's kind of just faded into the ether or something.
1: Have you uh, have you done a Howard the Duck episode yet? <laughs> no,
3: not yet. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't done. think
1: I've ever seen it. You've I haven't
3: seen, seen it, it since the '80s.
1: <laughs> I I probably haven't seen it since I was about twelve. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, get that done. Do, <laughs> do yeah. a live watch, record cool <laughs> while you're watching it. That's what I want to hear. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you no. You just made that happen
3: sooner. <laughs> yeah,
1: again, she's um, uh, yeah, she's she's great in it. I, I, you know, her character is uh is not the best in the film, um, let's say. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, I mean, she she put, played the role perfectly, I think. Well, between
2: Biff Lorraine and George, what's really impressive is how different their young and old performances are.
1: Oh, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Like, between the makeup, the performance, and everything, they really sell, like, two different characters,
3: almost. And the makeup works. Um, Watching on Blu-ray, I did see, like, a little patch of gnarliness on older Doc's neck. But in general, the makeup's quite convincing. Well, with with some of them, like, uh, I wouldn't even believe you if you told me it's the same actor. Yeah. Um... Oh, the other, of course, we we talked about uh, Leah Thompson. We've got to talk about Crispin Glover. This is the only Back to the Future he was actually on set for. I I think he's in a touch of stock footage in two. But um, when he shows up in the future, it's a different actor because Crispin Glover is a strange man. Uh, (laughs) um, He has also been, uh, if you saw a hot tub time machine, he's great in that. Uh, with the dude missing an arm and the whole thing there is like oh my god is this when he's going to lose his arm when they when they go back in the past um he's an Alice in Wonderland although I don't know if we should hold that against him or not but um like he's not really acting in this film if you see him in interviews uh there's a clip of him on um David Letterman show uh, talk show in America in the 80s 90s and Later, but he just seems like he's like tripping through the interview. It's like wild.
1: Yeah, I I think he was on Letterman three times in total, Um, and Letterman always says that you know he was one of the hardest guests that he's ever had on the show, (laughs) and you can see why. You see it. He's just doesn't he come out one doing like kung fu kicks and stuff. It's really odd. Um, Yeah, he's like missing
3: a shoe or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, he's an interesting, he's certainly an interesting person and he has a lot to say about uh, his time with Back to the Future. I know there was a lawsuit involved at one point um, regarding the second film. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, he he also played it perfectly um, from the start when he was being the sort of bullied dad uh, to, you know, all, well, all the way through the film. But he, he plays it absolutely perfectly. So uh, yeah, no complaints from any of the performances, really.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of the other performances, so the parents, Biff, Doc are so over the top that you kind of need
3: Marty to be kind of chill and aloof to sort of ground you. So I'm I'm staring here at something he made in two thousand five. I haven't seen this, but I think I heard some friends talk about it. they actually went to see him speak. Like, Yes, this is it. This is the movie he made, okay? The adventures of a young man with Down syndrome whose principal interests are snails, salt, a pipe, how to get home and is tormented by hubristic racist inner psych. That was a movie he made on his own. And I remember they went and he screened it and it was just like, it stars Crispin Glover and a bunch of people with Down syndrome, which is totally bizarre. <sighs> okay.
2: But I, I yeah, I, he is definitely a weird guy, <laughs> but it works because he plays such a like weird, nerdy, strange guy in this. And you really believe it. Like, a lot of the time in films, you have the so-called geek, but they also want him to be lovable. So you just think, like, ah, but this guy actually would probably be kind of popular. But George, like, you really believe that he would have had absolutely zero friends at school. So I guess yeah, the only yeah.
3: time Crispin Glover's acting is in the the final scene when he's a, uh, you know, 47-year-old... Uh, published author yeah
1: successful guy yeah 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 um but uh, i mean yeah the the way he talks and stutters and uh he always looks like he's sweating (laughs) especially when marty's trying to convince him to ask um his mum out but it's uh yeah i mean again just perfectly perfectly played
3: he looks like he'd smell like milk and cheese basically
1: yeah pretty much yeah yeah definitely (laughs)
3: You can choose which which uh, which particular flavor of cheese on your own, but <laughs> you don't want to smell but, like but, cheese. as But the main even point. then,
1: like you know, we talk about the dark films themes in this film, like the scene where he finds out that you know the, the story was that he got hit by a car, you know, um, and that's how they met. And then when you actually see what happens, in up a tree, like staring at someone with binoculars through their through their bedroom window. You just think, <laughs> Jesus. Like, I mean, obviously, this is a funny concept that you're finding out that your dad is actually, like, this (laughs) horrible person, (laughs) um, this peeping Tom. But it's, uh, yeah, like, even then, it's just like, oh, mate, this is rough.
2: It's definitely a different time when that was just something you could laugh (laughs) off. Yeah, I know. Yeah, totally. (laughs) The same with Libyan terrorists being just, like, a fun moment in a little comedy
3: movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you
1: just whack out a bazooka out of nowhere. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) That is fine, that one.
2: (laughs)
3: and i guess libya it's gone even darker now you definitely couldn't get away with that uh these days so
0: <laughs> what babaloo, babaloo, why babaloo?
2: So this isn't, like, a big effects movie, but they do have some very cool, like, sci-fi shots. Basically, any time the time machine's doing something, it looks amazing.
3: Yeah, it's kind of funny how they took all—the production is definitely an effect with the past. Um, In the second movie, they do have to make it an effect with all the continuity. I guess that's why it's fun to watch there, but here's just well-done production, a couple flashes, because, yeah, just a— A couple bolts of lightning that make up the effects in this one, basically. Well, and the the flaming marks when the time machine goes through time. I was basically such I was counting that with bolts of lightning, to be honest. But yeah, sure.
1: (laughs) That that iconic um, image of Doc and Marty standing next to each other with their uh, legs sort of like shoulder width apart, with a flame running between them, is just ah. The imagery is just so cool. Like Uh, it is too cool.
3: It's bugged me since the mid-80s. Probably my first time VHS said um, they didn't quite composite right in. I, th- I think it's Marty's foot is actually somewhat in the fire. But um.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, but he's too cool. It, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't actually set a light. He'd get away with that one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think cool is just the word for this film. Because like, the DeLorean's cool. Marty basically invented
3: skater culture. <laughs> <laughs> Marty's not that cool, though, when you get down to it.
1: Oh, you're having a laugh, aren't you? He skates along and then grabs hold of someone's car to make him go faster. What's not cool, but that's about as cool as it gets,
3: isn't it? Sorry, I, I, He's anyway. got a
2: girlfriend like a million miles out of his league. He plays yes. in a rock band. <laughs> it's about as cool as it gets,
3: man. OK, sorry... <laughs> I I played in bands and had girls chase me in high school and I thought I wasn't cool. I might be extrapolating.
1: And yeah, sure, I went back in time a little bit and then forward in time. Sure, I did all that. But is that really cool? Is that what you're saying?
3: Watching it around this time, I think I was like, oh, this is the first time I watched the movie since I've actually seen several seasons of Rick and Morty. I might be layering a bit of Morty onto Marty now.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I think that's possibly it. No, I mean he was cool, and that's what made it so weird that he wasn't like the most popular person in the town. Um, but yeah, I mean even even when he gets into fights and stuff, uh, the only character flaw he's got throughout the whole three films really is that he doesn't like being called a chicken. You know, <laughs> that's it. That really is the only sort of uh, the well, thing that he's. person needs to that get. Even that doesn't over.
2: really come up so much in the first one, does it? They sort no, it of on ju- that in in the second one. Yeah,
1: that's been brought up in the second one. I mean, there are moments... Yeah, I mean, I don't think there is a moment where he gets called a chicken in the first, is there? Like, it's
2: still... Like, he still, like, picks fights and doesn't back down, but they're not so explicit about it. Yeah, it's
1: it's a strange one. I mean, obviously, that was what they wanted to... T- that's what the whole third film's about, really, isn't it? Um, but it's... I, 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 yeah, this uh, one—that's not really played too much. So, in fact, actually, in the first film, he had no character flaws. He was just the greatest. Golden Child. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I guess the one thing that keeps me wondering is why is his best friend a scientist fifty years older than him?
2: (laughs) I saw a good quote from the from Zemeckis on that actually, where he's saying that relationship didn't work until they threw in the guitar amp at the start. And then with with that scene you're just like yeah I kind of get it.
3: I was going to say Marty's other character flaw is he has poor taste in guitars until he gets a Gibson thrown in his hand in the 50s. <laughs> but that's that's the music geeking.
1: The, the thing is, right, if it was that just the fact that he wanted to use cool guitar equipment that was around his house, which I've heard as well, you know, that's the reason why he was there because he wanted to play on that big speaker. Which I don't really buy because they you could see when they're together uh, at the start um, of the film, you could tell that they've got a better relationship than just that. You know, they, they both care about each other way more. I think he's, you know, who cares really how they met? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really want to know. I don't really care. They just seem like really good mates. Um, but, you know, maybe Marty's just really interested in all the little inventions he was coming out with
3: maybe that's where eric stoltz would have uh, been different i'm just here for the amplifier <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, i think one of those things if you look at the script on paper it doesn't make sense but when you just have those two performances there's just so much warmth and humor and friendship yeah yeah like you say
1: it doesn't matter how they met you can just tell they're good friends yeah it's so good. Every time they hug in these movies, it feels so good. <laughs> it really does when they see each other and they just they grab hold of each other and give each other a little, little friendly hug. It's just like you're like, yeah. Back <laughs> to the back. Future. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. I mean, the chemistry between those two characters is absolutely spot on. One of my favorite
2: moments is in the third one when they swap catchphrases.
3: Oh, what what bit is that? I was about to say, now you got to deliver.
2: It's right when they find out that Marty's going to die instead of Doc. And then Marty's like, great, Scott! And the Doc goes, oh, this is heavy.
1: (laughs) I love that. That actually um, is an interesting point with this film, which really, I mean, if this was to come out nowadays, I don't know if people will put up with it, but it repeats itself a hell of a lot. Like, there are scenes that are just done again. Uh, in in the next films obviously it doesn't you know affect the film we're talking about now but you know the whole waking up in your mum's bedroom that's done three times that that one film three times with the same sort of joke uh yeah
2: and the same chase that ends in the manure is in all three
1: yeah yeah there's loads of that stuff it's uh it's crazy but again i think because of the level that these films are pitched um that's the one thing that sort of ties them all together. That that sort of adventure, slightly, you know. Well, I, I I would call them comedies, um, because they're at that level. They totally get away with that stuff. It totally works.
3: Well, it's it's um, you know, like reality stranger. You know, it's like Doc. I'm from the future. Donald Trump's the president. Everyone stays in their house, and there are no sporting events. That's like five times past anything Marty has to say. <laughs> That's true. All he does is get his hoverboard out and
1: float about a bit. He doesn't know real, about the real future, does he? Doesn't know about it. Um, but no, I mean, yeah. I, 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 um, yeah, the the repeating stuff is actually pretty funny in this to be fair. They totally get away with it. It's like a pop song, right? Yeah,
3: like, <laughs> you have your refrain. It's like poetry.
1: It rhymes. Oh god, that quote just sticks in my head <laughs> Some films do not get away with it.
3: <laughs> no, I mean well yeah in two and three a lot of what I guess what you see would now have people on the internet screaming out about it being like fan service, but it works. Well yeah, the Avengers
2: had to wait ten years before they could do a film where they go back to their old films. Right, see
1: I I haven't seen any
2: of those films so I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Endgame basically is
3: just Back to the Future too. They go back oh. and visit all the old ones. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I, I intentionally didn't mention Infinity War and uh, Endgame were mentioned back to uh, were filmed back to back earlier, so to to avoid <laughs> bringing up Endgame because we bring up Endgame in seventy percent of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone can argue this film is
2: basically a comedy. Like. There's some great lines in there. There's a guy getting covered in manure every movie. That is pretty good. It's pretty good.
3: That's
2: wonderful. It's kind of... This level of film doesn't really exist anymore.
1: The sort of the fun, rollicking adventure. I don't know. I I, I think they do occasionally. I'd say the closest we're getting... I don't know. It's like of an old old film. But the the new um, uh, Jumanji films, I think, are of that style. Um, That's a good shout, actually. Yeah, they 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 have that sort of adventure comedy, um, mild peril stuff uh, going on, and it, it 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 works really well. We don't we don't have enough of them, I don't think. Um, you know, family films now tend to be these animated things, three uh, D animation with big song numbers and all that sort of stuff. They've sort of taken over, um, but yeah, we're 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 lacking that sort of you know, half comedy, half adventure, uh film genre um that that was so popular back then. Which is a shame, I think. The eighties is
2: the period where there weren't the Disney films, right?
3: Uh Disney was pretty much on the downbeat because they hadn't learned live action yet and pissed everyone off well, with the black cauldron. Which isn't bad, it's just intense. In the nineties we did have the resurgence
2: of the cartoons and then nowadays it's all the CG ones. But yeah, I guess in the 80s there was just that gap in the market for this kind of live-action family film.
3: Yeah, I saw a few years ago the uh, Mr. Mister Peabody and... Uh, oh God, I forgot the other one. Anyway, it, it, it was a CGI thing which didn't get seen much but time travel wackiness and it, I, I actually enjoyed it quite well but uh, maybe that kind of gets this vibe. But again, that one has so much insane effects where we've already noted that this one is very pared-down effects. I mean, there's almost nothing. But it it does do a convincing job of giving
2: you like a 19 well says a guy who's never seen the 1950s but of creating like the old-timey town and then showing you the modern version like it's not in your face science
1: fiction effects but it is impressive production and what's what's crazy is the the short amount of time that we see in 85 they give you so much that you can link to the moment he goes back to Back to when it goes to the past, you know, you've got you already know about the clock tower being hit, um, and then you see that clock tower, and that that comes into it. There's just like loads of bits and pieces that drip thread throughout that intro of that film that suddenly you're linking to the uh, linking like the moment you go back, you 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 can you feel like you know the town by the time you see it in the past. You know, it's crazy how well it does that.
3: It's a really tight film. It only
2: shows you, like, exactly as much as you need to see of everything.
3: I was about to say it's like one of those modern, like, puzzle boxes, except without all the, like, annoying, lingering mysteries. <laughs> but the construction yeah, everything's has that answered. detail. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you just look at the opening scene. I mean, it's... it's it Yeah, it only shows you what you need to know, but it shows you loads of it. Like, that opening scene where it's just going past the clocks and the uh the tv's on and all that sort of stuff you you know and a few newspaper clippings or whatever you're like that that one long cut yeah it just chucks stuff at you and you're like wow (laughs) this is the you know when you look at it again especially on a second viewing or third viewing or uh 50th viewing um (laughs) (laughs) you go oh my god yeah that that relates to that and this is this and the skateboard hits the plutonium box under the bed. And, you know, it's um, it's really intense with how much information it chucks at you within that opening section. I don't
3: know if they were intentionally going for this, but uh, the, the king of that has always been, I think, um Hitchcock's rear window kind of does the same thing quite well. So I, I wonder if they were sort of referencing that with newspaper clippings and just things around the house. But it's just the whole uh, show-don't-tell thing, right? Well, and it's also... It's got
2: such a feeling when this film starts of like, yeah, this is a big movie. It's got that really long shot, all the close-ups, the music very slowly comes in. You don't see Marty's face for a little while. And it just it just gets you hyped. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in for a treat. And it's so got like, it's somehow, the comedy somehow they as knew well. this was going to be a big film.
1: It hits you with the comedy as well, with the whole, you know, this massive machine that's set up obviously to do all of Doc's chores by by the time that the uh, the alarm stop ringing, and it's just dropping. Oh no, the, the alarms go off later, don't they? It one sets yeah, yeah. off the machine and it turns the telly on and all that sort of stuff, and it's you know dropping the food just in onto the floor and everything going wrong because it hasn't been maintained like uh, for a couple of days or whatever. So it's it's got those funny moments in there straight away. So you you totally get the tone of the film. Well, yeah, that opening the the opening few shots of this are, are just incredible, really great bit of filmmaking.
3: And that's why I don't know why Zemeckis' name isn't bigger. He just made so... Even, um, I think I slammed Forrest Gump a week or two on this podcast, but it's still a well-made film. It's just I uh, don't
1: know how you can slam that. For every time I see that film is on the telly or whatever, I'll just go, oh, I'll watch five minutes of this, and I'm always there to the end. I don't know why I love that film so much. I'll just do I, Yeah, I had the same thing because
2: it's always on TV in the UK. But when I was a kid, because it was always on so late, I'd only be able to watch the first hour or two hours and have to go to bed. So I always used to think Forrest Gump was just a Vietnam film. <laughs> I didn't know there's still like half a movie after that.
3: The point <laughs> yeah. being that all of Zvekza's films are very watchable. This one being at the top of the heap, of course. But um, I, I, let's, let's get into a few of those like darker themes, yeah? Okay. <laughs> I assume you're starting a new segment.
2: Alright, I've got a perfect opening for this segment and I apologise. Okay, Matt, Dave. When she was like late teens, early twenties. No. How hot was your mum? No, no, no.
0: <laughs>
1: no, thank you. Not... It's 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 weird, isn't it? It's like you just, when you were reading the plot out at the start, I was like, oh my god, yeah, this is this is horrible. <laughs> what, is, what is going on here? But, um, but yeah, I mean. It, <laughs> Don't feel too bad at the time, does it? It's, it's odd. <laughs> no,
3: uh sorry, th- th- there was one quote I just need to backtrack a bit on my own little um my own little rabbit hole here and read it out. Um here we go. Um Zemeckis and Gail, the one of the producers, found it difficult to create a believable friendship between Marty and uh Brown before they created a guitar amplifier, of course, and only resolved Marty's Oedipal relationship with his mother when they wrote the line, it's like, I'm kissing my brother.
1: Yeah, yeah, that helps. <laughs> it helps slightly.
2: I think it works because they never really film her like she's sexy and we're meant to find her attractive. They always play it off as a joke. Exactly. They do. Yeah, you're, if yes, you're if, right. Like you mentioned how one of the studios turned the film down because it wasn't sexy enough. Imagine how fucked up it would be if they
1: did shoot that as sexy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and she's played so innocently as well, isn't she? She's um, you know, she she's more sort of swiping her hair and going, "Oh, what a dream boat," rather than <laughs> yeah, taking those lines too far. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah, maybe it. That's if, how it works. if
2: they made back to the future now, then the past he visits would be like the 80s, right? And then <laughs> I think it would come across really creepy. That's what but yeah. because it's like a nineteen fifties version of high school romance, it's just so sweet and chaste that you can't really get too upset with it.
3: That's basically what Hot Tub Time Machine did. If you guys haven't seen that, they take that particular thread and get really wrong with it.
1: Yeah, no, I've seen it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean what what they do what they do here is uh is um yeah, just they just get away with it, don't they? God, the amount of discussions they have, must have had about that while, while putting the film together, it must have... got look, is this, is this too messed up? Or are we keeping the right <laughs> side of things here? Um, but yeah they, they, yeah, they just get away with it, I think.
2: But apparently the premise they originally started from was um, if I went back in time, would I be friends with my dad? Yeah, that's right. But yeah. really the part you remember is him and the mum.
1: Yeah, because he never really. Um, it's strange. There's there's times where they do seem like friends, but it's never really. It's only to for Marty to get back, you know, to fix fix the the uh, the future. He he's never. Yeah, it really... feels like
2: he's forcing himself to be his dad. Yeah, make.
1: they never have a connection. They never have a connection.
3: No, it's like in high school. I I I was in like you know the gifted program, so we had some real geeks around, right? Like very socially awkward dudes. And you know, I, I I knew these were the guys that got bullied, so I try to meet, you know, nice with them and have conversations with them sometimes, but they were never people I actually like legit became friends with, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was I was exactly me, the same because I was a enough. geek, you kind of you feel compelled to be friends with the other geeks, but some of them you're like, Oh mate, you're not doing yourself any favours. I know why you get bullied. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I'm not going to be the one to do it was, was at least my stance. So. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas with Marty and
2: Lorraine, you do really feel like they could be good friends.
3: Or
1: more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. If only she wasn't his (laughs) mum.
3: Also, if only she wasn't such a horned dog. (laughs) Yeah, that's knowledge that none of us want to have, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) No. Who knows what hijinks your folks are up to. I don't know. At least my okay, dad has a right, story. All right, we're of... done
1: now. All right, well, thanks for having me on. Um, I can't blabber <laughs> with this anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you, you mentioned earlier, like, the sort of the dark things and the things that you ignore because it's a comedy. But the fact that George didn't notice that their son looks suspiciously like the guy that his wife fancied in high school.
3: Yeah, he probably should have left out the eight-year-old burning the living room line.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that there's, there's, there's that there's that, you know, and I mean that happens later on as well, isn't it, with the amount of characters that look exactly like <laughs> uh you know, they do in a different timeline or whatever. It's it, it's um Marty <laughs> plays
3: his own daughter in the second one. Yes, well, see, everyone everyone in Hill Valley looks the same. It might be kind of an imprint town to start with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah
1: yeah, it wouldn't surprise me um but no I, I i think yeah the uh the fact that that's another one of those plot holes that you have to kind of overlook isn't it the fact that hold on they're not going to sit down at one point and go you look exactly like that guy that that's weird uh yeah they don't <laughs> they don't need to mention that really do they
2: oh we didn't really mention her when we were doing the actors but um the girl who plays jennifer's okay and then they replace her in the second or third one with a much worse actress.
1: I don't know why they. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not quite sure why they. Um, they changed it up. I don't know the history on that, but
3: yeah, I assume it was just a in.
2: scheduling thing because it was a minor enough role. They didn't think anyone would care.
3: The person they replaced her with was Elizabeth Chu, by the way.
2: <laughs> okay. Who? she. She just. The one in two and three, she just plays it like such a, like kids' TV show over the top way. Whereas Jennifer here is very believable.
3: No, you're not wrong. I'm just saying that the, the replacement actually became a much more successful actor in the
2: end. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Although the one bit that's not believable is that she lets Marty get away with constantly staring at other women. <laughs> <laughs> in
1: fact, just... There's a scene at the start of this, isn't it? Where he, he checks out yeah. another girl. She just like moves his chin. My wife would have yeah. broken my chin had that have been the case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lucky yeah. guy.
3: I, I just had to check... Um, Elizabeth Shue who plays her in the later movies. Uh, just to tie in with our, our crazy Nick Cage a few weeks ago, starred alongside him in *Leaving Las Vegas*, which won Oscars and stuff. So, if she wasn't that great *Back to the Future*, she did get some nice roles later on down the line. Whereas um, Claudia Wilson is the actress in this movie, and excuse me, Claudia Wells, who hasn't been in anything. Okay, just just, just interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I um, wonder what happened to her then? She was apparently in Back to the 2015 Future, a short film, which I'm guessing is probably fan-made. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, she made Back to the Future, and whoa! She d- didn't make any films from 1985 to 2008. Yeah, she just didn't work for almost 30 years, and then t- to just started working. t v n films, wild. Okay, hmm. <laughs> Uh,
1: But she was only in, like, a couple of scenes in this one, wasn't she? Oh,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, it might be that she's actually a terrible actress and
3: she just got away with it because she didn't have to do much in this film. (laughs) The other really dark thing that, um, um, again, it only shows up cartoonishly is how did Doc get that plutonium?
2: Well, I think what they say is the Libyans stole the plutonium and gave it to him to make a bomb.
3: I'm just saying, what kind of weird geopolitical connections does that dude have? Doc, yeah, Doc has a lot of secrets.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, these days, they'd say, oh, yeah, I went on the dark web, but how do you get in touch with Libyan terrorists in 1985?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just met him down in the shops one day. He said, you right.: <laughs> He
2: there, <there's
3: laughs> a, a, was at
1: Plutonium RS.
3: There's a sketch of... Um, it's a Steve Martin, like, comedy special. Uh, I, I think I tried to show Luke a clip. I couldn't find it. But it has Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, uh, dressed up in, in sort of a terrorist and going into, like, a convenience store and, um, you know, Hey, do you, do you have any plutonium? Oh, no. Or, no, no, where's the plutonium? It's right over there. Oh, oh, oh. Do you have a license? Oh, no, sorry. Uh, can you get us those cigarettes? And that has them going over like, shoving all the plutonium, like, in their coats and stuff and running out. So... Uh, buying plutonium at the convenience store in 1985. You, you can see that in a, a comedy special if you want.
2: Well, that, that's one of the jokes in this. Doc says, oh, well, maybe in 1985 you can just buy plutonium at the local store, but here in the 50s.
3: No, I'm, I'm just recommending the thing where you can watch uh, Pee Wee Herman trying to do so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, that was basically my only thought on the plutonium, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: one thing I noticed which I really enjoyed when I was reading about the film Wikipedia apparently Ronald Reagan was a
1: big fan
0: he got name checked of
1: course surely everyone in the world was
2: yeah but apparently he was uh, he was watching the screening and when they made the joke about um, him being president he demanded they roll back the reel and play it (laughs) again
1: <laughs> Imagine the ego. I like to think that that wasn't a special screening either. He was just in a cinema, he's just in the theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, that, no, stop. Everyone lights up. Just let so you know, yeah, I am the president. I am here watching it with you. But we're just going to rewind and see my my little mention there again. Okay. Anyone got a problem with that?
3: <laughs> I, I think like, he was sacked president me. for a while too. He didn't get away with that.
1: <laughs> well, again,
2: if they made this film again today, they could make the same joke, but it would just. Just comes across a bit darker when you make yeah. that joke about yeah, Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Although I could definitely imagine Trump doing exactly that.
3: Turn it back, fabulous,
1: fabulous. I can't do a Trump impression. Inject person. the plutonium. That's the problem.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I heard that plutonium kills viruses. So if you eat it,
0: <laughs> <sure>.
3: <laughs> any more darkness, darkness and the before the light. We'll get to the light in the last segment. I
2: guess the only other dark thing is, like, Biff, as, like, the high school bully, sure, that's been done. But by the end of this film, he's, like, pretty legitimately trying to commit sexual assault.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah he's I, just the bully. I mean, he's basically trying to murder Marty, too, so whatever. Well, yeah, he goes after him with, like,
2: does he go after him with, like, a crowbar or a wrench or something? With a car. Oh, yeah, he tries to run <laughs> over his car! <laughs>
3: I mean, I'm not trying to downplay sexual assault, it's a horrible thing, but, you know, running someone over with your car, it's on an even keel, because you're murdering them. I guess it's because, like, it's
2: set in, like, the 50s, and I guess, at at that time, the attitude that, like, oh, I've decided you're my woman, so you're gonna be, kind of was how a guy like that would have thought at that time.
1: I, I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, the history, um of that stuff in America at that time. But I do know that that was quite a common trope in American uh, cinema at the time, right? That there'd always be overbearing male characters that, that uh, used to treat women like objects like that, you know, Well, and not even always as the villain. Like that
2: would be the hero in a lot of these films yeah. in like the fifties and forties. Well, that's yes. what like Han Solo's
3: based on, right? A space ranger just grabs the gal by the... No, okay, let's not quote anyone else. But yeah, 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 the the overbearing uh, space hero. I know we see that. I mean, that's kind of... They're playing into those tropes a little bit here um, with the DeLorean appearing as a UFO and the hazmat suit just being fantastic.
1: Yeah, so I think, if anything, that might be a a reference to cinema at that time. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit. But yeah, I mean, it's dark as fuck, that.
2: <laughs> but it, yeah, even it's just very believable that that is how Biff would think.
1: Yeah, I mean he's a complete scumbag. Like <laughs> everything, but like in his in his, his head,
2: he's not doing anything wrong, right? It's just like, well, I want this woman, I'm gonna get her.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. You you will be mine. Uh, attitude. It's um,
3: how yeah. does the. How does the bullying aspect work? I know in Japan it's become a big issue where kids go home and um, you know end it all because they got bullied at school or, or people getting bullied on the internet. I mean, can we actually laugh at like a bully anymore? <laughs> uh,
1: can we laugh at a bully? I I mean, it depends how it's played, and I think you know it's important to remember that this is a a sort of uh, a light hearted you know um, adventure comedy film um and the bully is never given any sort of gravitas and in pretty much every scene he's in biff comes across as worse off in fact that's the rare bit where you think i mean obviously it does come off worse uh at the end of that but it's the first time where he's not being played for laughs as being an idiot and being the butt of the butt of the joke during that scene um That's when he turns into an actual villain and not sort of a a figure of fun, Um, I think, other than, you know, the opening scene where he's being nasty to um, George McFly. The
2: laughs don't really come from his bullying. They they come from him, like, getting comeuppance or being made to look stupid.
1: Yeah, and he gets his various different comeuppance throughout the film, doesn't he? Um, You know, the manure scenes, the being punched out scenes, the... You know, he he gets a lot of comeuppance throughout these films. And, you know, even even the basic, you know, uh, lines that he's got that he gets wrong is sort of a, look how much of an idiot this bloke is.
2: It speaks to how good a villain he is, that he's constantly losing throughout this film, but he
1: still feels intimidating. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. I mean, he becomes much more of a villain in the sequels, right? So, here sure, he...
1: But, I mean, here he is still pretty pretty horrendous.
3: Okay, enough, enough of the darkness. This is a light movie. Let's get back to the light. So this film has got quite a big legacy. Like This is a really beloved film. Yeah, you don't ask if this film holds up. You This is like the standard you use to see if other films hold up.
1: There's so many elements that play into that. There's, you know, there are the, the characters that you love. Uh, they're still as good today as they were back then. Um, but I think, you know, a huge... Uh, part of that is the score Um, everything from the sort of the you know the music we know uh, like the sort of pop songs and the rock that's that's laced throughout to that that main theme tune that will still put the hairs up on the back of my neck whenever I hear it Um, and it's fascinating that that um, main theme tune because you do not associate it with a time travel film uh it it sounds like something more from a, a space adventure or a swashbuckle, you know, uh a pirate film or something. That that amazing score is is yeah, it's incredibly exciting and you would never put it to this film. Uh but but once you've made that connection, you just cannot separate it. The moment you hear two notes from that, you're like you've you're seeing the film flash. Uh, before your eyes, it's it's unbelievable, really.
3: What has the 50s film soundtracking approach that Star Wars also used? So, I guess my question, what is actually the better effect? Star Wars being a big, massive production with a big, massive theme, or this one actually being quite a small production when you get down to it, uh, not counting all the 50s stuff, but a much smaller scale film also is just a massive theme. Is it more
2: effective here? Well, what's great is they don't, overuse it, like when we talked about Star Wars we are talking about how there's there's not a second of those films that you're not being blasted with music, whereas here it's just at those moments of high adventure the theme sort of swells up
1: and it's impossible for me to answer that question because I'd watched the Star Wars films in the in my 30s and I've been watching Back to the Future since I was like 6 so it always will be Back to the Future for me because it's the nostalgia that goes with it um, but I haven't got that with Star Wars. So I, I, I think even even um, uh, for people that do have the nostalgia for both uh, trilogies, it's got to be impossible to compare it at this point, isn't it? Like, what works better? Uh, yeah, I think
2: part of what makes Back to the Future work so well is that we just got those three films. Whereas Star Wars, we've had so much Star Wars, you take it for granted.
3: We got the Universal Studios ride, man, and I rode it. <laughs> well, I guess we got the cartoon as well in the '90s. I hadn't seen that, but I did. The ride was funny. Um, it was one of the first, like, sort of simulator. You know, the giant screen, and you're sitting in a uh, Delorean, right? But uh, they had actually Christopher Lloyd and uh, Thomas Wilson do show up in their roles in that um, ride. And I don't think Michael J. Fox in there, but they did get those two guys. It was fun. You can actually watch it online. I'm weird. I like to watch ride ride-throughs on YouTube, so... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I did know that that was one of the first... At the time, that was supposed to be, like, the top the high-tech ride when it came out in the early 90s, so... This film has a lot of fans.
2: Um, I... So one of my ex-girlfriends, she had a cousin who had a full-on DeLorean kitted up to look like the time machine. Like, isn't it strange, the DeLorean... It existed, but now it's just the Back to the Future car.
1: Well, the the car was shit, wasn't it? <laughs> if I remember correctly. Yeah, <laughs> <They> <laughs> I don't think it's a good and motor him, it, to drive. It was just a fucking nightmare. Um, so it, because it didn't like uh, become this big sort of iconic car, the only thing you can reference it to is, is the film, isn't it? But They do look cool, they do look cool, they look insanely cool. I wonder if they'd still look cool if they weren't associated to the film, though. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like those, those sci fi doors and everything, they're pretty fun, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I mean, it's spot on, but um, yeah, no, because was that a product placement deal? It must have been, right?
3: I think I by this point, it was, it was not. I think they were just like, no one likes this, it's cheap and it looks cool, so let's really. Do
1: there's a line right at the start of the film where Doc says something like, uh, they said, why would you do it out of a DeLorean? And he says, well, the carbon body uh, is perfect for this, this, and this. And then he starts kind of like, um, and if you're going to do anything, you do it in style. And then he holds his hands out, <laughs> points towards the car, and there's a shot of the DeLorean. And it's kind of like, okay, right, this is an advert at this point.
3: Here we go, I, I'm just reading this off wiki, but the DeLorean Motor Company was an American automobile manufacturer formed by automobile industry executive John DeLorean in 1975. It is remembered for the one model that produced the stainless steel DeLorean sports car featuring gall-wing doors and for its brief and turbulent history. Ending in receivership and bankruptcy in 1982. In October 1982, John DeLorean was videotaped in a sting operation, agreeing to bankroll drug trafficking, but was acquitted on the basis of entrapment. (laughs) 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 And that was 82? Yeah, so DeLorean's are not a thing by 85. (laughs) Yeah, right, okay.
2: Weird. I bet they didn't even have to pay to use it then. No. That's
1: just that's just that one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. So that's. But of course, now we all remember the DeLorean for uh, Ready Player One, right?
3: Oh right, yeah, because that's the only real DeLorean.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, me and Matt hate that film. Don't worry. (laughs)
3: No, um, Luke rage screams about it for about an hour. (laughs) I know. I
1: was listening. What episode was I listening to? The other day. Oh, I think it was actually the Ready Player One one. Oh no, okay, was, it wasn't, right. it couldn't have been, because it was another one, I was thinking, oh I'll listen to, uh, I think it might have been the Matrix one, and it opens with you ranting about Ready Plan 1, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah,
3: that, that film really got up my, <laughs> got up my back a bit. Yeah, I had to cut him off on that one, I had to stage an intervention. <laughs> but no one is that, no one hates this, is there anyone that doesn't like Back to the Future?
1: Oh, I don't know. I'm sure you. I mean, this is planet Earth. There's bound of people, people out there that hate something. You know, the um, one,
2: the one thing that I've heard people complain about is um, there's the gag at the end when Marty's playing Johnny Be Good, and um, the guy phones up his cousin, cousin Marvin Gray, and he's like,
0: you "Know that new sound you've been looking for."
2: <laughs> And people are like, oh yeah, they're trying to say that this white man actually invented rock and roll, not the black guy. But I think that's really reaching for something to be offended I, by that. I, I
1: think that's a, a little joke, isn't it? <laughs> <I think that's, laughs> I yeah, I'm just figure it's a Chuck
3: Berry fan. I mean, you had Jump Blues and Muddy Waters and stuff like that before. Um, some people call Rocket 88 from 1952, I think, or 1951, the first rock and roll song. So it's a, a grey area anyway, but... Yeah, Chuck Berry was awesome, so I want to give Chuck his due. The, it doesn't ruin the movie for me at all, but yeah.
2: No. Yeah, I like like Dave said, it's just a little gag. I don't think they meant anything by it. No, it's think- just
3: funny because you, you don't notice that the, the kick drum says uh, Marvin, Berry, and the Starlighters until he calls Chuck, right? And then you're, oh, Berry, got it. <laughs> so, you know, he set it up well.
1: Yeah, there's, there's, um, I, I think um, uh, we were less sensitive to stuff back then obviously Um, so if that film was being made now maybe you would go "Hmm, that's a bit interesting but I I can't imagine that there was any malicious fault put into that uh, that little gag there
2: whoever probably first brought that
3: up was probably just joking (laughs) oh and just one more note um, as a guitarist um, Michael J Fox is I mean I, I don't think you're hearing him on the soundtrack but he is actually playing the thing properly so that's nice
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think he actually did play guitar in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, you guys... They also coached him to make sure that he looked right playing these songs as well.
3: Yeah, we like to do musical moments. Um, I I would love to rock out that riff, but it's still 7.30 in the morning here, so...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it might not go down well with the neighbors.
3: Yeah, well, with the fam, to be honest. But I know I always ask my wife, can I play giant B. Good? She's like, not that early. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... I'll be sticking 50s rock and roll songs in between our segments anyway, so and some blues. <laughs> um, the big moment, I guess, is coming up. Any, any major points anyone wants to make about the legacy or just weird things you forgot about Back to the Future?
2: No, I think it's, it's it is interesting that people have so much nostalgia for this film as an 80s film, when the film itself was kind of a nostalgia film for the 50s.
3: Yeah, I just uh, I did find it funny watching this and just recognizing so many products that I, you know, packaging and that I remembered from being a young child. So and since I haven't watched the film for a while, it like stuck out this time. So I I
2: think like 30 years from now, there's going to be a generation of kids who are nostalgic about stuff like, you know, Transformers and Stranger Things from today, which is nostalgic for the 80s, which was nostalgic for the 50s. (laughs) It just goes on forever. All the way back to Babylon. But yeah, I think we're pretty much wrapping up here. And like you said, it's not even a question: Does this film hold up today? It's the standard. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's what it. One of the all-time classics. This yeah. is just the perfect family blockbuster. It really is.
1: It really is. You you know, you sit there with a grin on your face from start to finish. Um, you know, it is it's unbelievable. I I mean, it's it's so well done. Um, and the tone of it throughout is, is like, you know, as I said, as we've mentioned many times, they've, they get away with a lot, but it's, um, yeah, it's perfectly done. I, I love this film.
3: Okay. Anyway, I actually got just a knock on the door now it's time. So, <laughs> uh, Dave, can you tell us where to find you on the, the interwebs and in the, the world of podcasting? Um, you can find me on twitter.com.
1: Uh, I'm at David Turner's on there Um, we do a weekly video game show called The Computer Game Show Uh, so for all the information go to thecomputergameshow.com and if you're into sci-fi and you want to hear a man experience every Star Wars film for the first time uh, then search Starkles on, uh, on your podcast players and uh, you can listen to those. I, I, I watch the films and then ring my Star Wars loving friend and tell him what I think of them. Yes, including the prequels. Uh, so now now I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. <laughs> that come out of nowhere. <laughs> and yeah, we have actually got James lined up to do a Star Trek
2: episode in the not too distant he, he future. He so. will
1: be fantastic because as much as James loves Star Wars, it's nothing compared to how much he loves Star Trek. So yeah, it'll be a good guess. Yeah, looking forward to it.
2: He'll be in the den for that. I couldn't can 100% recommend. The reason we got David on today is because I'm a huge fan of all of his podcasts. So cheers, Definitely mate. check those out if you haven't already. Thank you.
3: I mean, and thank what? you for coming on with us. <laughs> oh, thanks for inviting yeah,
2: me. Cheers for doing oh, It's been great talking oh. about
1: this film. It's great.
2: Oh yeah, I was, I was so excited to podcast with you. Like I said, I've been listening for a long time. Cheers, man. Uh, very quickly, bash through our socials. If you like the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at MLSFSPod. Please do rate and review. Go on iTunes, all of that bollocks. Uh, If you want to hear more of my voice for some reason, I do a Pokemon podcast. You can find that on Twitter at LukePKMN. Oh, you remembered, good boy. (laughs) And if you've enjoyed the music you've heard during this podcast, you can find more of Matt's music by going to RovingSageMedia.bandcamp.com. Luke, did you? Sorry, that was super patronising. Sorry, Matt.
3: Did you, did you come up with your, your new farewell for the audience? You said you're doing you're a new uh, farewell. Yeah, so
2: the listeners at home and Dave, please make like a tree and leave.
1: Oh, bollocks! Right.
3: I
2: was, was going to do the wrong
1: one from, from the film and I did it I right! <laughs> can't leave. That <laughs> leave that in exactly like that, because that is the perfect God. ending. I fucked up fucking it up. <laughs> ah, that's amazing. That's what happens when you... are Record at
2: 6am on four hours sleep in a can of monster.
3: Next, Next week, week. space.